What's up, my peeps? It's me, Eben. I used to play football. Now I do yoga. I love you guys. It's so good to be with you all. Have a really excellent conversation today. It's with my brother, Jared Picard. He runs a profound biodynamic farm in Northern California called the Be Here Farm. Really fantastic. I dream of going there one day. Uh, This conversation was really an introduction into the concept of biodynamic farming. A little bit about Rudolf Steiner, the guy who brought forth this philosophy. Um, The principles of it, what it means... We get into another very interesting concept called biogeometry. Really interesting. Using architectural design to align the energetic frequency of a space in order to create, cultivate the most nutrient-dense foods, healthiest plants, whatever it might be. Really, really interesting stuff, all based in um, actual science and research, really interesting. Um, so I think you guys will enjoy it. This episode of the pod, Hey, you know what it is. It's brought to you by my brothers and sisters over at by optimizers guys. I'm telling you right now, you, if you're not already, you should be taking magnesium, magnesium, one of the most important most vital minerals our bodies need to maintain overall total well-being, mental, emotional, physical. Great for your nervous system, great for your immune system, great for your sleep and recovery, great for managing stress and inflammation. Super potent. Their product, Mag Breakthrough, it's the top of the line when it comes to magnesium products. Very top of the line. It's a very unique blend of seven different variations of the magnesium molecule. You don't really find that anywhere, which improves its efficacy and its bioavailability. So how your body is able to access those nutrients. It's super important when you're thinking about what supplements, what products to take. You always want to get the ones that are the most bioavailable. What products work? There's a lot of stuff out there. You can go out and buy, I mean, you name it, you can go and buy it, essentially. Um, And most of the supplements that are available out there, they don't really do anything. And I don't know about you, but when I spend my money on on a supplement or a product that I'm looking for it to enhance my life, my well-being, my health, some aspect, whatever it is that I'm desiring, I expect to experience some shift. And magnesium breakthrough, you absolutely feel it. You feel it calming and toning your nervous system. It gives you a better night's sleep. Sleep is so crucial. So check it out. Magbreakthrough.com forward slash ebb and flow. Use code EBBINFLOW10 to get 10% off your next order. I highly recommend it. Also, we are very blessed to the listeners of this podcast have an exclusive offer. Thanks to Jared, our guest for today's episode, in purchasing his Summer Solstice Serum. It's this incredible face body serum made from these biodynamic ingredients that he grows on his farm. I've used this stuff and it's like nectar of the gods for your skin and your body. It's fantastic stuff. I don't use that stuff. That's really, my wife is really into the skincare and I just keep it super simple. I've had very healthy skin throughout my life and haven't have been blessed not to deal with it um and so i'm always skeptical about putting things on my face because usually when i do that usually that leads to a pimple a breakout whatever it is but this stuff is like butter it's incredible so he's offering you guys on sunpotion.com use code ebb and flow all one word to get 10 percent off 
your purchase of the summer solstice serum from be here farm highly recommend it it's a it's a great offer stuff is like it's honey i'm i can't find another word to describe how exquisite it truly is so that's about it folks i hope you guys are living in your highest greatness i send that out to you with standing with truth with strength and courage for the greatest good of the universe. Lots of love to all of you. Enjoy this episode and I'll see y'all on the flip side. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source. The key of imagination. Your admission. Access to the enlightened dimension. A gateway at the junction of darkness and light. The place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux, only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow. What's up, peeps? You know, I always say that and I say what's up, peeps, in the introduction, so maybe it gets a little redundant, but it helps me know when we're beginning. Uh, Today, super stoked to be here. We're in beautiful Topanga Canyon, hanging out with my soul brother, Jared Picard of Be Here Farm and Nature. Excellent to hang out with you again, man. Likewise. Um, so Jared and I met a couple weeks ago. Today is October 29th. We met a few weeks ago in Austin, Texas at the Gathering by Runga, which was an excellent event. Taught yoga and breath work there. Jared got introduced to Jared. Jared runs an incredible property in Napa, California called the Be Here Farm and Nature, is the company, um, which we're going to get into. I have to say, dude, I was thinking about this earlier. At that event, you had like the most pleasant outfits. These like tie-dyed like yoga clothes that were just fucking oh. epic. They were... Uh, How kind of you to say. Like one day you were, it was like a very, it was like a nice blush like pink ensemble and then the other day it was like a blue thing <laughs> it was dude. it was Bro. super pleasant and like peaceful oh it's so nice but what's funny about that is that we've been living um displaced from home for like 14 months so we yes. have from from wildfires that's a story we get into or not but anyways the point is we haven't been at home so it's not like i have my <laughs> normal set of options so we literally we've been living out of suitcases and that pink hat that you're talking i had a pink shirt um, that I'm actually wearing. I think yeah, yeah, yeah I think it was that shirt. And the pink hat was the day before I left. I was like, oh my God, it's probably going to be pretty hot down there. And I had been to Runga in 2019 and it was pretty sun exposed in that Napa location uh-huh. that we were at. So I was thinking, oh man, we happen to have really nice shade trees down in Austin. But I was worried about sun exposure and just being out all day. And so the girls went to some market and I said, pick me up a hat if you see one. And so my six-year-old daughter came home with that bright pink hat and, you know, it was just perfect. It so, was perfect, yeah. dude. It was totally perfect. I love that. Um, but, so, a bunch of fun stuff to talk about today. Something that I was really fascinated by. You introduced me to this. Was this concept of biogeometry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that is. If you guys can hear the panting, that's Rumi, Jared's dog beautiful dog we just went on a hike it was nice um biogeometry is something that really fascinates me as i you know my own understanding and knowledge around just the energy ocean that we we exist within and how we take that so much for granted and how this mechanism or this tool of biogeometry really taps into 
the energetic frequencies that we exist in to help us grow our food more abundantly with, you know, higher nutrient density, et cetera, and all the good things. And you can talk about that. I thought that was a great place to start because I don't know how much of my audience has been introduced to that. I, it's certainly a new topic for me, but something I'm definitely really interested in knowing more about. And I think that'll lead us into some of the other cool things like the bags hmm. and your, uh, just your sense of alchemy, dude. I think it's really, it's really specific and enriching information for people to listen to. Great. Well, so I was introduced to biogeometry I, I, through my brother, I would say. Mm. My brother and his wife have now gone on to take some level of their their courses as well to sort of be, I don't know if practitioner is the right word, but eventually, you know, there's um, a certain certification or license uh-huh. that people carry to apply the principles of biogeometry to your home or business or maybe town or, or whatnot. Um, I'll share what I know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a direct experience guy. I'm not saying uh-huh. I don't do my research, but it's the kind of thing where I got to experience it by walking into my brother's house um, and seeing some of you know what they call the tools, the biogeometry tools, just sort of feeling it. I'd been at his house prior. I'd been at his house post and prior to feng shui being implemented. Mm. And um, ultimately, you know, after sort of psychologically being invested in that concept, didn't really experience the any direct benefit from engaging with it. And also sort of was disillusioned by finding mm, like a wide range of different like one feng shui practitioner would think this and the next would think this the Mm. next would think this the next would think this biogeometry doesn't have that um issue and so it's basically um self like they would self-identify as a new science i've seen them describe themselves as a new branch of science i've Mm. seen them describe themselves as a design language Mm. um basically who who is the guy who dr ibrahim kareem was the creator of it and um what i know of him is that he was a like a city planner uh in egypt and um uh, maybe also an architect and um maybe a civil engineer but basically into city planning and design and uh took observations from sacred sites um and basically observed and I don't know if this is what he always did, but currently has a system of sort of measuring, you know, the quality of energy um, of spaces or items with a pendulum, like mm. by dowsing uh-huh. with a pendulum. Yeah. Um, and uh, sometimes doing it against like this ruler, basically, like how far along it goes, how mm. many notches it swings past how wide the diameter circle it swings basically mm-hmm. um and what he noticed was a common energy at sacred sites which he you know you'd have to look up his books or youtubes or he's done um some great episodes as well as his daughter Dorea, who's i think now like the president of their organization um speaks publicly on it quite a bit those so Abraham Kareem and Dorea Kareem are who you really want to go um, okay. look into and, yeah. and and hear speak about it. But basically, um, it's called BG three, which stands for Biogeometry three, and it's like uh, energy that is present in all of these places, sort of a, a harmonious earth energy that's mm. present in sacred sites and also like man made sacred sites like Stonehenge or other places. It- and so he has then developed a design language, to use their words, of shapes, colors, um, maybe other th- symbols and sounds and um, forms, and uh, basically to amplify and harmonize the energy fields to BG3 mm-hmm. energy. And also specific, like geometric patterns that, in their form, are 
the same sort of formative process of all the various organs and parts of the body. And so like the necklace that um, you're wearing at Runga for a little bit that I have on right now has all these little symbols on it. I think they call it their biosignature pendant, but this stuff's all on their website. Um, The little symbols correspond to organs in the body. And so it's basically putting out a... Should we we Uh, cut out for a second? Audio problems. Hello. All right. Sounds good. Now it sounds good. Yes. Rumi. Sorry. <laughs> tech tech difficulties. Rumi's coming in clear. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect, man. Yeah. So all of it is in accordance with or with the or um organized to harmonize energy and harmonize frequencies. Yeah, like my understanding is basically, let's say your some organ, let's say the heart, has uh, its ideal sort of energy pattern that it's putting off. This thing is putting off at a high frequency that energy pattern, and so sort of entraining it to you know saturating the space and through you know harmonics more or less um, resonating with and amplifying. Uh, through the resonance and it's not necessarily how it doesn't have to do with the materials but it has to do with the shapes i do believe so but um like for example i know that these come in a couple materials okay this is brass i think it comes in sterling silver and gold okay um some of their but like a lot of their pieces are made out of some type of plexiglass or plastic type material um and that's interesting yeah so i think the form is you know the key is principle yeah um and what jared was just talking about there was he wears this necklace it's got a circle with a almost looks like a keyhole in the middle of it yeah and a slit at the bottom a and that slit and you know that's where the um you know energy field is em- right. emitting out of and then of- yeah yeah well i want to exp- i want to tell because i'm also a direct experience guy and then the other thing is a what is it an L nine? So this little thing is an, is another thing that um that uh, another one of their forms right. called the L ninety. Yeah. The L ninety. Yeah. Um, and I have to say because I I put on Nathan's necklace at the event for a couple hours I think, and I definitely felt a energetic difference, you know, and yeah. just like my my sense of being. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely, I definitely believe it. I felt it myself and hanging out with you cause you have it kind of everywhere hanging out with you. I feel super serene, you know, cause I think that stuff, it, it like you said, it reorganizes or harmonizes the energy in the, in the environment that it finds itself in. Yeah, um, you know, I'll speak a little bit more to the believers because the skeptic already lost me. But um, <laughs> like, they'll when they douse this, they can douse it on a map, even not even being there, like on a topographic map. So uh-huh. he's in Egypt. He can he he did a lot of um, design work on the house that my brother's building in New York right now. Oh wow! So like where the foundation is poured and the angles of the house and whatnot, so that the whole like the house itself is. Um, you know, has these forms um, built embedded into it. So it's sort of self-generating its own BG3. And then it comes with, uh, you know, there's also the natural ley lines of the earth um, and intersecting with them or not is, you know, a big consideration of theirs. And so on the map, like when, when they sort of did this work on my brother's property, then they started dousing it. They found the impact of it to go like several counties. You know, Whoa! Not just like super local. So the impact of building his biogeometrical home is literally vibrating out and affecting the 
I mean, the environment according that to, far out. According to their yeah philosophy on it, and it's not even the home that he's building right now. It's like he's been living in this house for the last several years, and they're currently building a, a house on a, on a property. But the house that they're living in has been, you know, you don't have to design your house from scratch to incorporate these principles. You could also mm. incorporate these principles like after the fact, you mm. know, and remedy it to in, in certain ways. And so the house that they've been living in for the last several years there's been certain things that have sort of been buried around the property on what are like power spots of the land itself, the actual land form. And then that by doing that, you know, amplifying the natural earth energy spot um, is probably the most profound impact that can then sort of, you know, spread out quite far. And like when he was in New York city, for example, you could imagine, you know, 10 floors above and below sort of being within the energy field of, uh, the the BG three being generated. Fuck, New York could use that. Needs that big time. Um. So your. All right. So I think that's cool to lay the groundwork for something really interesting for people to think about. So you have this incredible property. In Napa. Let me give you one more example. Okay. So like cell phones. I used to hate carrying my cell phone around. Uh-huh. And I used to have it in a little sort of radiation shield by Defender or somebody. I forget the product. But I used to turn our Wi-Fi off at night and be really sort of against it. After adjusting all the devices, including the phone and the Wi-Fi router and whatnot, including in this rental house that you're in with BG3, little app, you know, little things that harmonize the energy... I, you know, whether it's placebo or not, I no longer feel the effect. I used to feel it really strongly. I used to consider myself very sensitive to it, whether that was placebo or not. Again, like I could what be, would you feel? I could be totally mental, but I would feel, um, like warm, buzzy, tingly feeling. Um, I wouldn't like to hold the phone. I mean, I couldn't imagine holding it near my head, but I would even not even like holding it in my hand. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, none of that really bothers me after being adjusted for BG three, which, to me, it was kind of noticeable in terms of direct experience. Yeah. I definitely feel it myself, man. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. No, no, not at all. I was all. just thinking about that. Like, no, that, that's that a great a big, point. That was a big one for me. Yeah, yeah, that was, big, that was big for me too when you said you put the things on your phone. and Because that's the whole big deal now is like, you know, spending a lot of money to like shield your house and right. protect your house properly. But it might be more about saturating it with, uh, you know, a different energy. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. Not a doctor. Let's just make that clear. (laughs) (laughs) God forbid. Um, So, you have... All right, well, let's talk about, like, who you are and how you got to be at Be Here Farm. Or how you got to Be Here Farm. Period. Because... All of that that you just talked about, it's infused in the ethos and what you have created with this place and this and the products that spring from it. So, who I am? That was your question. I lo- I- yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's that's a good place to go to get to how you came up with this idea and wanted to start this thing that's really special and unique. So, you know, present day, um, my wife and I are the founders of Be Here, and that is a 300-acre uh, property in Sonoma County, but right on the county line in Napa County outside San Helena, California. And we've developed a biodynamic farm there. And, um, biodynamic farm. Yeah. Biodynamic yeah. farm, which is, um, the style of agriculture that comes out of anthroposophy, which is Rudolf Steiner's, um, spiritual science mm. or body of wisdom, philosophy, worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically we develop the property and, the farm with the intention of opening up a hospitality experience, a small hotel basically, which was a sort of um, 
the surface level vehicle for the deeper goal of kind of sharing with people what was really transformative in our own lives mm. and you know things things that we wanted to see in the world things that we wanted as individuals and as a family to participate in um and then share with others cuz you know we love it so much we thought how could anyone not and then you know the area that we live up there it's known for like world class hospitality and restaurants and so can we create a small hotel that objectively sort of meets or in an ideal world even exceeds the local standards in terms of giving somebody like a cool fun pretty place to go on vacation um and can we then sort of blow the lid off it by subjectively offering or you know quote unquote competing in areas that they would never think to dabble in and if they did it would you know potentially even be sort of like a greenwashed version of the topic mm. um because you know natural organic even even regenerative um all these words eventually if not already become sort of marketing terms that large corporations what? can easily just advertise to us about without any real underlying ethos mm. so yeah our deal was that we were you know born on the east coast my wife is actually born in puerto rico i was born mm. uh in another beautiful island long island um and uh the both of us grew up in uh <laughs> northern new jersey after a few years of island life and um <laughs> <laughs> and uh basically like when i met my wife she thought for sure she'd live in brooklyn the rest of her life in a brownstone like uh -huh. corporate world and you know i was working on the floor of the new york stock exchange so that all made sense and yeah i had met a check practitioner um paul check the check institute i'd met a check practitioner in new york city who my brother had just started working with like a year before and lost probably 80 or 100 pounds. He was in a really bad health condition at the beginning and all of a sudden was turning into a really fit-looking person. And I started working with him. And this is when I get introduced to mindfulness, food sourcing, movement, movement being broken down into working out and working in, mm. um, which is novel to me. And uh, other things like values and dreams, like not just considering any sort of, meaning to my actual dreams but having a dream in life mm. as the guiding star to you know what i'm actually working towards um that's a model that comes out of paul's work actually that was really meaningful to me the idea of a dream line and it's basically like if you're pulling a bow and arrow at a bullseye the line between you and the bullseye that's the dream line and so you want to have a dream so you know that you're walking down your dream line as opposed to just wandering in circles and like mm -hmm. aimless directions. And the way you stay on the dream line in this model is by moment by moment applying your values to the four doctor model, which is doctor diet, doctor quiet, doctor movement, and doctor happy. And, you know, go listen to Paul if you want to get deeper into that. But creating mm -hmm. values around those four doctors uh, is sort of what it takes to then walk down your dream line. Mm. So that concept being introduced to me, all these things come together, and um, we embark on this journey in collaboration with my father at the time, who had just retired from like a 30-year career on Wall Street. Mm. Um, and he was looking to develop a land-based property for himself, really, but for the family more generally, and in particular around like times of need, because he was living deep downtown Manhattan during 9-11. Wow. And so he kind of had this idea like, oh, maybe we'll need like a safe place with food mm. and water and solar. And so as that idea is coming together, we conceive this idea of like, wow, we can create that, have people come visit as a means to even support and maybe create it in the first place. And, you know, if there's ever an Armageddon, well, we'll be closed anyway. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. You could have the whole place to yourself. And um, meanwhile, we'll have the farm. We'll have all these things that otherwise the concept was kind of created for like a vacation home that he was, you know, dreaming of. And so we kind of, that was about 10 years ago. We kind of came together. We embarked on this whole journey. Meanwhile, we experienced serious wildfires last September 
and that whole idea has been put on ice. But what has arisen over that time is our deep devotion and love of this property and our daughter being born there and our whole lives, you know, being poured into it. And, um, the farm, basically you can't turn a farm on. Like if you want to say this hotel is based on a farm, you can't on day one of, you can't build the hotel and then turn on the farm right? or start planting the farm. It takes many years, you know, yeah. in a real, if we're talking farm talk, it takes about seven years, but you know, the first couple of years and the first five years, they're all still pretty awesome. But the farm really hits its rhythm after a while, mm-hmm. especially a regenerative farm. Once these systems get in place and really have a foundation, then they kind of launch pad off of themselves. Um, it's very fertile and resilient. Mm. Like our farm in whatever year it was, the seventh or eighth, faced a wildfire. A fire just rolled right over it. And yes, some of the fruit trees died, but generally speaking, the farm like didn't really care that a historic wildfire rolled over it and burned down every building in sight. It just was still growing like kale and cauliflower and super delicate things because the soil is all alive and super wet and wow. water retention retaining. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, really cool. I mean, there was fires that crawled through the farm. All the mulch and everything it was all smoking and burning. The fire was kind of underground, like burning through a couple feet of mulch, mulchy layers, you know, <laughs> crawling through the tree roots and stuff like that, root to root. This is like the weeks after the fire. So the yeah. fire burns through, but then for weeks, it's like smoldering through the ground, like some sort of hell beast, you know, it's like Crazy, crawling dude. through the ground. A little fire will just pop up out of nowhere and you kind of got to go put it out. All that being said, if you walked around the farm today, even it's been a year now, it's not that long, right? If you walked around today, you'd be pretty well forgiven for thinking like nothing happened here. You know, there's some obvious signs of it, but the farm is just so resilient. Wow. And then on the contrary, if you think about the farms that you see on the side of like here in California, highway five, you know, when you're driving up and down the the state, just huge industrial farms for thousands of acres. Imagine if their irrigation turned off for a couple hours, even all their crops would be so limp. And like if they were growing industrial kale in a monoculture, that thing is just mostly water and chemicals. You know what I mean? There's nothing Mm. in it. And so our farm, when the fire came through, all the irrigation burned down. There was no water, no irrigation, no power. There was nothing. So when I say that kale and cauliflower and all that stuff was growing, I'm saying that six months after the fire came through, Without irrigation or farmers farming it, little tiny plants that were planted before the fire grew into huge, like 12-inch diameter cauliflowers all on their own, just with the rain and the water and the soil. That's insane. Yeah, that we harvested and enjoyed. It's wild. Dude. Yeah. So I don't know if that's, I mean, no, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm up to. And, uh, <laughs> but there's some really interesting aspects of it that I think are, are really cool that people wouldn't even imagine. For instance, you crush up quartz and you, you sprinkle that in the, in, that was in the irrigation system. Well, not exactly in the irrigation system, um, which is just, you know, tubes that run along the ground right, and right. drip out water. But, um, basically what you're referring to is something that is a common practice exclusively on biodynamic farms. So biodynamic farms in the U.S. make up 0.002% of U.S. farmland. So pretty rare. And of that 0.002%, a huge percentage of it, I mean, I'm just guessing that it could be in the 80s or 90s, but a huge percentage of it is dedicated to a single crop, which is wine grapes, Mm. which is cool because there's some nice biodynamic wine around. um, But... There's very few places that are growing edible and medicinal, you know, wide biodiverse selection of crops in this manner. Um, and the ones that are, you know, should really be celebrated and sought out. And like, if you go on the, the certifying organization that certifies for biodynamics, it's called uh, Demeter, D-E-M-E-T-E-R, mm. Demeter, Demeter. Mm. And if you go to their map, to like find a biodynamic farm, depending on which state you live on, unless it's like New York or California and a couple others, depending on which state you live in, you might find between zero and five. Mm. So there's very few. And if you're near in a, the state, in the state, um, not to say that there aren't other farms that are farming similar or identical practices without a certification. Um, we are currently using a certification because 
you, you know, according to their trademark, I, I don't know if there's anything else behind it, but at least according to their trademark, you have to be certified to use that word biodynamic, even though like theoretically in like the sort of public conversation, what that word is referring to is a series of lectures that Rudolf Steiner gave in 1924 called the spiritual renewer for the foundations of agriculture. Um, it was over like five days to farmers in Europe who were basically saying they were in the anthroposophical community and they were basically saying all the animals are sick, all the crops are failing. Like, you know, it's just not like it used to be when we were kids. What's going on? Like, why is, why is mm. the land performing in this way? And his response was more or less, you know, chemical agriculture is about 10, 15 years old at that point. So his response was more or less that these chemicals and these methods sort of have like, you know, in the seventh year, they really come in to see effect. You start to see like infertile populations and whatnot. And you're going to like see this big decline. And he predicted that, you know, the bees would, you know, decline within the next hundred years if, if the course didn't change and that would be devastating. And that's where we are now. So it's like a hundred and some odd years later, 1924 is 2021. Um, and, uh, People have been experimenting with these practices ever since, and some of them choose to get certified, some of them don't. And, you know, obviously that's the case for organics and any other farming system. But the thing about a certification is that it entitles, or I should say it enables, I didn't mean to say entitled, it enables people to uh, meet the bare minimum of the certification oh. and then be the thing. So on a large scale, like organic, which is, you know, organized by the USDA, it's come to mean very little. Right. There's no deep ethos behind it or anything. When it comes to biodynamics, it's actually rather comprehensive to to qualify for the certification. One of the things that it requires, amongst other things, like dedicating a certain percentage of your land to biodiversity and, you know, no chemicals of any kind. We don't have any chemicals on the farm, including certified organic ones. So everything mm -hmm. we use is from scratch. Um, we grow or forage for various plants, um, or in the case of the courts, we purchase it. Um, a couple other things are sort of bartered for our purchase. Like there's different parts of animal organs that are required to basically stuff the plant material into, say, like an intestines and then bury that in the ground um, and let it compost and ferment in the ground. And that turns into basically a compost, a black looking mm. sort of substance, which those are called the biodynamic preparations and those get added in very small doses to either the compost pile, which is then added to the field. Or what you're referring to is that there's one that's based out of manure and that gets sprayed on the field, like mm -hmm. not the crops, but the soil, mm -hmm. kind of the bare earth and the soil, um, or the field. And then the, um, the, the, the quartz one, which is, was really called the silica preparation is uh, sprayed on the crops at different points of maturation to encourage ripening and maturity. And it has a relationship with like light. Mm -hmm. um, and so if something is too wet and like ripe for a kind of fungus to mm. develop, you could apply this spray to bring in more of the light sort of dry quality. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is, those, those are used like a tablespoon or a few tablespoons are put into a compost pile mm. and like, you know, a tablespoon is put into like an entire backpack sprayer and then sprayed on, you know, an acre. So these are things that the actual physical substance of them, so little is used. So it's all about the formative process behind them, which, mm. which just like in biogeometry, like the manner in which these things are formed is representing an energetic quality that exists in their form meaning like the um the cow horn is one of the right. things that it gets buried in yeah it's similar in its form and its formation process to the quartz even though one's a mineral and one's an animal protein and so when you put them together just like in biogeometry there's an amplification from like the 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 similarities kind of coming together there's a synthesis and, a, and an amplifying quality of bringing these different, you know, parts of the animal kingdom that share the same formative process together. It's basically reinforcing that the, the energetic, you know, quality coming off of that formative process. Yeah. 
which in the case of quartz crystals is this like you've seen a geode right like a quartz crystal it's yeah. this like vertical reaching up um sort of gesture Entity. yeah it's yeah. like reaching up towards the light and then if you picture um an amethyst crystal mm-hmm. like deep purple really beautiful well-developed amethyst crystal it's got these fist over fist right circular squ- almost boxy circular sort yeah. of nodules mm-hmm. it's much less vertically reaching yeah. up in its formation process right uh-huh. and so Aton, our farm director um and others um that were actually frankly been inspired by to do things like this um have experimented with these processes but using the different crystals so for example if you were to put um that amethyst crystal with the sort of you know fist over fist doubling up on itself pattern that's pretty representative of a cabbage and so if you were to spray that on a cabbage you could imagine encouraging the cabbage to you know um to take on that that formation sure whereas if you were to spray the vertically reaching one you might find that it doesn't you know bulk up and cabbage quote unquote cabbage up as much it might start you know reaching towards the flowering stage interesting more vertical expression that's super interesting as a yeah that's not like that's just sort of i don't know where that came to me that's like that's just the sort of random sidebar but yeah to give an example of forms yeah over substance so there's very little substance of the actual material that's put in we call it a homeopathic amount and yet it has to be working and that's how I even started learning about biodynamics. I was a biodynamic farm owner mm. walking around my farm, not knowing anything about biodynamics. And I still feel like I know very little relative to what's out there, you know, for me the rest of my life to discover. Mm. But I was walking around my farm saying like, man, everything looked like we wanted to go to biodynamics because we had sort of learned through the grapevine and through an internship that I first took out of the city when I left. Um, that biodynamics was like, quote unquote, beyond organic, kind of like the, uh-huh. the best food, you know, but I didn't know anything about Rudolf Steiner, anthroposophy mm-hmm. or anything. And we hired a farm director who had some exposure to biodynamics, but together we, you know, we took a deeper dive over the last seven or eight years or however long it's been. 2015, we started working real, real earnestly on the farm. And I hadn't done any of this research. So basically... I then found myself wondering, well, why is this working? And if it, it's obviously working because the crops were just of such an uncomparable quality. And then other farmers and chefs and people would come to the farm and be like, oh my God, their eyes would roll back. They're like, I can't believe the quality. And so I know it's working. And people who say like, oh, well, that's just absolutely insane to bury crystals and cow horns and to use homeopathic doses and to not use fertilizers or pesticides or herbicides. Like that's just madness. Well, like they should just walk around our farm and look, because that's exclusively what we've been doing for like almost a decade now. Uh And it's obviously working. And if it's not working, then there's magic involved because Mm. we're just putting in homeopathic dose of these flowers and minerals into rainwater or compost and applying them to the farm. There's a couple other types of, you know, similarly cool medicines we make for the farm, like um, uh, some essential oils get mixed with uh, neem and clay and get painted on to the olive trees to mm. not only achieve what latex paint achieves. You've probably seen in yeah. hot places pa- trees painted like in white. Palm Springs, they yeah, paint all the trees white. Sunblock, so it doesn't burn itself. Interesting. But, um, in in this case, we achieve the same. We prevent it from sunblock, but we also feeding the cambium layer with these nutrients, um, mm. and so it's like a nourishing kind of face mask for the uh, for the trees, and it keeps you know certain insects from you know eating into them probably as well. What I love so much about this philosophy way of um, engaging with the world is that it's so. It's so highly aware of the interconnectedness of everything. You know, in the Western paradigm, we have been so, something I talk about a lot, and this element of the Western ethos has permeated so much of our of our life and our way of being, but where it's like, oh, that doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter that you rub chemicals on this thing for this purpose because you know you're just doing it like once a day or you're just doing it like once once in a while or it doesn't matter that the processed food is just filled with chemicals that you can't pronounce it's stuff we probably wouldn't even put in our bodies but this philosophy to me makes so much sense because it's just so mindful and highly aware of of how precious every molecule of experience and ingredient is you know and it just makes sense intuitively like i was thinking about this the other day i don't know driving these things just come to me and um i was thinking about because people ask me what do i eat eb what do i eat you know and frankly i'm not really a believer in one specific way of eating like i just don't think there's that for everyone and what it always comes down to is eat whole organic foods, like eat foods that grow from the ground, that spring from other living creatures that, you know, are, are earth God made elements. That's what you should be putting in your body. Think about if you were a, a you know, a caveman, an, an early human who had no access to a grocery store. Instinctually, just beyond your your knowing, if you put yourself in that type of mindset or mode when it came to what you're putting in your mouth, instinctually, you would never think to put the chemicals or the things that you can't pronounce, you would never think that those are food. Beyond what you even know about the safety or efficacy of it. Because think about if you were out in nature and you came upon something, you're not just like eating shit like that you find. Yeah. You know, it's there's things, the, the food, the nutrients call out to you. Yeah. And your life depends on it. And your life depends on it, you know. But we've been so lulled to sleep with this idea that like it doesn't matter, you know, you're whatever genes you get that's what your your destiny is and if you're totally fucked health wise well we have a pill for that and you know this will solve it and that injection will do this and x y and z and it's such a it's really to me it's run us into the ground in the west it's disillusioned us from the majesty and the magic of the human experience and this to me is so necessary, you know, this, this way of looking at food, at looking at nature of us as being what I believe, you know, there's no other animal on the planet like a human being, you know, and why is that? And why are we so much the integration of God consciousness with animal instincts, you know, and it's to be the guardians of this planet of this garden of eden yeah i mean pretty specifically that's part of the biodynamic philosophy right i know just listening to you talk about it, i'm like that's what they tapped that's what rudolf steiner was talking about he's like as the guardians of the garden of eden these are the practices that we've lost touch with through whatever means the industrial revolution or you know call it dark forces or whatever it might be that has wanted to or profited off of the disillusionment of humanity from this idea of like how much power we actually have. And it brings up a lot of questions for me when we start talking, when I start, when I listen to you talk about this, you know, because there's so much, Forget about like the climate change conversation because I'm not really interested in having that. But this idea, I've heard it sort of whispered and mentioned by a handful of entities about how there's like 50 harvests left of food given the state of soil. Yeah. But then it makes me think, but you're talking about the state of like industrially kept soil. You're not talking about the state of something like this that's so 
Oh no, yeah. It's like you're you're not talking about a biodynamically uh you know managed plot of land no. because that's exactly what Rudolf Steiner the the issues he was addressing with those farmers from Europe who were saying, "Man, the crops are not what they used to be. All the animals are sick and dying and the land is just run dry." Because he's like, "Yeah, because you have to put into place these these systems and these mechanisms of of cultivating the earth and helping it replenish itself and doing all of these things that rejuvenate the life force in the earth itself, right? Yeah, they should put like an they should put a little you know caveat on that, that yeah. expression because it's like we have fifty harvests left if we tie a sock around our eyes and just do exactly everything <laughs> right. that we're doing that we've been doing. Yeah. Meanwhile. Rudolf Steiner and anthropophysy is and biodynamic farming. By the way, have you been to Sterling Farms in Malibu? I don't know if we visited it. No. It's biodynamic. Yeah, it's great. And the lady who runs it's awesome. Happy to hear. And there's this old dude who's really crotchety and angry, but they took us out and they had like two truckloads of biodynamic manure mm. in the back that he was super stoked about. I grabbed some of that stuff. It was super hot. You know, like, because you bring it up to a certain temperature and it does all these things with the microbes and all the good bacteria in there. And then you use that to make the fertilizer. It was pretty cool. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's actually something that I'm, at the moment, particularly excited about because we had such a large amount of refuse from the wildfire that we turned it into a huge compost pile and starting this spring, Mm. we're actually going to be selling our compost to people. That's um, amazing. For like home gardeners and small, small little bags, because it'll come with all the home, you know, the crystals and the herbs and the flowers already sort of incorporated in. Dude, it's amazing. I think it's so, I mean, to me, that's where, that's where we need to go. Do you see, How did we get so far away from that? Like, how did Rudolf Steiner become such a... I don't even... I don't think he's even... He's he's not even well-known enough in the mainstream ethos to be considered controversial. Mm, yeah. I mean, in a certain extent, you're right. 0.002% of U.S. farmland, right? Yeah. Um, and... I'll circle back to Rudolf Steiner in a second, but what you were saying about like 50 harvests left and you're like, yeah, but not biodynamic farms. It's like, yeah, but you're like, yeah, but not 0.002% of farms, <laughs> right? Right. right. 1% of U.S. farmland is organic. It's not even that much. 1% of U.S. farmland. That's so awful. The other thing about that 1% is that like 80 or 90% of that 1% is industrial monoculture organic. It's not like small mom and pop organic. Right. It's the big industrial monocultures. So there's almost no, you know, regenerative ag on on a national scale. The global numbers are pretty similar. They're like 1.4% or something like that. What are the chances or what's your sense of those big monoculture industrial farmland moving in the direction of a regenerative agriculture? It's interesting cuz there's 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 certain like like, why not if you had the billion-dollar farm yeah, or the multi-million-dollar farm? Why wouldn't you just it, transition the whole thing over to being a biodynamic entity? Like, I'm not a subsidies expert by any stretch, but what I, like, what I do know, at least my understanding anyways, is that there are a variety of you know, commodity crops in this country that are subsidized to be grown subsidized to the extent that like sometimes it makes sense to not even harvest your crop and just take the insurance payment because you know right bad weather quote unquote but right. really it's just because you know the crops are there's just such a surplus that the prices are so low or whatever and it's easier not to do that um so the, those crops become our junk food and become like the obesity pandemic so these things seem like there's a direct you know line between them like the subsidy is the money and then the outcome and so i would love to think that 
the government could potentially incentivize these large players to have regenerative practices. Outside of that, obviously there's going to have to be some private, you know, charitable organizations that try to get this type of agriculture into lower income and, you know, food desert type areas, because right now it's a large premium. If you want to, you know, typically if you want to buy, you know, really high end clean artisanal food, you know, somebody's charging a premium for it. These practices can totally be incorporated into industrial large scales. And like Rudolf Steiner was actually thinking about pretty large properties, like thousand acre sort of like, you know, livestock and grain mm. farms and cereal farm. You know what I mean? So these are pretty large. He was thinking on that scale. Yeah. He was saying things like, you know, like machines will need to be invented to sort of facilitate this next part, uh-huh. like stuff like that. So he was thinking that as many, as much soil around the world that could be treated with this medicine would be beneficial, even if it was done in sort of an industrialized way, which like, he was only 1924, but like, you know, cotton was king in the 1800s. So like the mechanization of agriculture had long occurred, even though like, you know, world wars hadn't occurred yet. So the mm. world wars really kind of accelerate the industrialization of food with, you know, nitrogen fertilizer and then insecticides from, you know, World War II and the concentration camps. That mm. stuff immediately pivots and becomes agricultural products. Prior to that, though, this this stuff had been highly mechanized because when you can grow cotton and store fiber, you know, until the price is right and sell it six months later or whatever, that's a lot easier than growing tomatoes, which are going to rot in like a week. So Mm. the mechanization and the, you know, commodity kind of crops had already occurred in agriculture. And so to answer your question, like, how do we get so far down the road when you're taking the food away from where you started, which you were saying was that intuitive place. Like I am literally immersed in nature. I am following this herd of animals. Mm. We are surviving on the seasons and what we eat or drink will, you know, save our life or kill us. And my sister is going to break her leg, you know, (laughs) and I'm going to have to fix her with herbs and poultices. Like, so this was our relationship. So there was no dividing line between, industry medicine western eastern pharmaceutical right uh, you know dermatological estheticians none of these things existed none of these experts separated us from the wisdom of nature we had a direct immersion with it Um, over time all the decisions we made as a society have separated us further and further from it whether it was the first farm you know putting down those fence posts and saying you know actually inside the fence this is now mine um or whether it was like you know, religious influence or whether it was taxation on these, you know, grains, which led to cities and states, you know, and, 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 you know, government corporate alignments or whether it was more simple things like we used to grow our food for ourselves and we shared what we had, you know, with our community to I'm growing this food in Iowa, shipping it on a train to uh, a a co-op in chicago which is shipping it to a grocery store in new york and florida to people i'm never going to see or care about right so there's this you don't even know who you're growing the food for anymore yeah and so all there's a lot of different ways to look at like how we became further and further separated there used to be 95 percent of people involved in like producing their food or tending to the homestead in some way to you know probably just a couple percent Mm. um so Rudolf Steiner rang the alarm pretty early. It's not that like, you know, before the industrialization, before World War I, um, indigenous and, you know, native cultures around the world were farming with completely intuitive practices that were um, in rhythm with the original sort of impulse of the universe, this mm. like life-giving, expand, expanding consciousness and you know, working towards a, a, a unity on the whole, ultimately, right? And and then we sort of really divorced ourselves from that process. We went from yeah. children of nature to um, like husbands In of nature. Of like like we, we, we ended up from being a child of it in the sense of 
were completely immersed in it mm-hmm. to a, a husband, a farmer. We're uh-huh. not tending to it, right? Yeah. But now we're like widowies. We've just like yeah. totally abandoned it. And we're just head on straight on this path of like, I can manipulate these resources for my benefit as opposed to this is a living, you know, unity that I'm immersed in and a part of and completely reliant on, you know, developing together. Yeah. And so our sort of task as biodynamic farmers would be to act in a way that is current and capable of meeting the demands of today, even if that meant industrialization, but doing it in harmony with sort of the original impulse of the natural world Mm. um, and not um, interjecting with our technology or chemicals in a way that is such a destructive force that it just commandeers and overrides that method because then there's like negative side effects. The negative side effects of industrial ag are obvious. The farm workers are low paid and sick and unhappy. The people who eat the food are sick and unhappy. There's just people making money and they're producing a large quantity of food, but very low quality. So obviously, you know, it's not achieving what we as a consumer or a lover of this planet would want it to achieve. And so in biodynamics, we internalize these costs. I mean, we steward 300 acres. We're tending to the watershed. We're caring about the wildlife. We're um, planting wildflowers. We're doing a lot of things that, you know, an industrial farm planted hedgerow to hedgerow doesn't have to consider. Mm. And so that does all get factored into to our price, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity, man, for someone like you to go to industrial farms and rearrange their system. Some of them are like the kiss the ground movie kind of Mm. was inspiring and it featured this guy who's kind of doing something carbon neutral sort of regenerative practices talk as it relates to industrial ag. And so some of that stuff's real good. And some of it ends up being like, you know, not that great. Like for example, no till is great. They got they're, if they're getting people to stop tilling the soil with huge machinery mm. and just uplifting it, like uh, you know, every time they want to plant something, that's great because you lose a lot of topsoil, and you know that's like um, the the dirty thirties. That's like the uh, whatever the you know right after the depression, the dust bowl. That's uh-huh. the dust bowl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's what happens from too much tilling. And, Interesting. And so getting them not to till by inventing this thing called a no-till seed drill where they can plant their stuff without having to till it up, that's great. But it's a slippery slope where if they say that they're not going to till it up and then there's like way more weeds than there would have been otherwise because they didn't till, now they end up spraying a lot more herbicides and chemicals before they plant to clear all these weeds. So some places who learn about regenerative practices like no-till go down the road of no-till and then end up actually applying more chemicals to their land. So mm. it's like, it's sort of important to have the underlying ethos of like right. why you're doing something. Um, but, Always. But in terms of the industrial stuff, it's going to have to be profit driven, I would say. So it's like <laughs> if consumers were like, there's this organization called the Real Food Campaign that wants to invent a little handheld spectrometer that we could walk into a grocery store and set the dial to whatever crop we're zapping it at zap a little ray of light onto say a carrot and it'll tell us red green or yellow how it compares in nutrient density to like thousands of carrots it's scanned in the country that month you know wow. and so they test this stuff in their lab on like a large scale spectrometer the nutrient density available to us in food is staggering yeah. so between the farming styles so the, the like the the result of the test indicates depending on the crop, like a 20 to 30,000% variance, meaning that Jesus. you'd have to eat like 200 chemically grown carrots to equal the polyphenols present in one regeneratively grown carrot. Or you'd have to eat like 350 pieces of spinach to equal the antioxidants present in one like biodynamically grown piece of spinach. God, it's crazy. Yeah, so when you look at our products, they're made out of very common things. Like the ingredients on our sort of flagship face serum product that we make is calendula, St. John's wort, German chamomile, tulsi, yellow dock, go-to cola. These are things that could have been easily in your lunch, right? But due to the manner in which we've grown them, they're quite possibly tens of thousands of times stronger than any time you've seen that word in your life because of the 0.002% thing, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. they're just it's almost impossible that somebody else's 
is doing that and then producing a product that's similar. And if they are, I mean, God bless them. I'm probably buying their products too. And I'm probably infatuated with their brand. <laughs> no doubt, dude. No, it's so awesome, man. I mean, there's a, I, there's a lot more I want to talk to you about, but we're going to have to do it for part two. Yeah, we're running out of time. We're running out of time, but, um, Dude, thank you so much. It was super enlightening. I think this is a great introduction to these topics, biogeometry and biodynamics and regenerative farming. Super interesting stuff and very important, I think, as we move forward. Um, Part two. Bags. bags. Definitely, dude. Jared does these volcano bags, vaporizers, vapor bags, that are just out of this world awesome. You're an alchemist, dude. I mean, what can we say? Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a pro-health, in my mind, a pro-health relationship with the uh, the bag and the cannabis. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it'd be fun to talk about it. I know It'd you be, love it. I'd love to talk about it. Yeah, I know. Um, tell everybody where they can follow you and follow the farm and stay up to date with everything happening because i know there's a lot going on right now yeah the best place is probably on instagram at be here farm okay be here farm check it out yeah and uh i'm making this up right now i'm sure scott's going to be cool with it but let's just go ahead and say there's going to be a 10 percent discount for folks with uh code ebb and flow over on scott's website which is a great website sunpotion.com um whoa if if people want to check out our serum um fans of evan or new friends of mine and um my email is love at beherefarm.com and so if you actually purchase a product through sun potion or elsewhere you get an invitation to video consult uh with me and or my wife and talk about the farm and how to get the most out of your product do a little guided facial relaxation if you're into it and um so yeah people want to reach out to me directly we have a bunch of products that I'd be happy to talk to them about and uh, offer them that we don't sell on Sun Potion or Cat Beauty or Alchemist Kitchen, a variety of online places you could buy the serum. But if you want to get more into it, you could just reach out to me and it'd be fun to connect. Love that. That'll all be in the show notes for y'all. Check it out. Uh, Sun Potion's the best. That would be epic. Yeah, no, that we'll do it. Yeah, we we love setting setting up uh, special offers for... um, you know, folks like you love when we get on a a show like this, it's fun to connect. I mean, when we got off, uh, Paul checks episode, we met so many great people from the episode who reached out and took us up on the video consults and really connected. And it's awesome. That's totally awesome, dude. Yeah. So hit him up. All right, dude. Appreciate you, man. Likewise. Uh, I hope you guys got as much out of that as I did. Um, that was super informative. And uh, I think we we can all agree. I don't know how you could be against something like regenerative regenerative farming or biodynamics and increasing nutrient density in the food. It just sounds like a win-win all the way around. Uh, That's about it, everybody. Lots of love to all of you. Um, Sending you power. Sending you good vibes. May you stand with strength and courage in your highest greatness today. We need you. Lots of love, everybody. Talk soon. Peace. You're my hero.